carnitine, like the security guard of our mitochondria. What does the data say on supplementing with it? Tune in to find out only here on the People's Scientist Podcast. to the People Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on neuroscience, physiology, and nutrition. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, a nutritionist, physiologist, and neuroscientist, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking, to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hello, my People Scientist Army, and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast for episode 111, where every week I arm us with some scientific information to make us all a little bit smarter and healthier with every episode. How's your day going so far? I hope that it is going great, and thank you for bringing me along into your day. I hope that I can add a little bit of interesting science to make your day just a little bit better. So what fun science am I going to fill your mind with today? Well, I have gotten a few requests to cover a common supplement called L-carnitine. This has been studied in the context of weight loss, exercise performance, diabetes, cancer, and more. So what does the scientific evidence say? Is there any benefit or does the data support the claims that we have heard? Let's jump in and find out. So as we always do, let's start off with some core takeaways. Carnitine is something that we make in our bodies, but we can also obtain it in our diet from meat, milk, or supplements. Carnitine helps us turn our fat into energy. Sometimes we may have too low levels of carnitine, like if we are born with a genetic predisposition where our carnitine doesn't work properly. Sometimes we may have lower carnitine in our body if we take in too little protein, if we are of older age, if we undergo very intense physical training, if we live with a chronic condition like liver disease, kidney disease, or diabetes. So scientists have studied taking supplements of carnitine to see if it can help with energy levels, exercise performance, or or if it can help the symptoms of certain chronic diseases. Now, the most commonly seen benefit to carnitine supplements in young, healthy, active people was that it improved their muscle recovery after an intense workout. But the impact of carnitine is really seen in populations of elderly individuals or individuals with obesity or chronic disease. In these populations, taking 1 to 3 grams of carnitine orally may improve their mental functioning, physical functioning, sometimes measures of health like lowering fat mass, lowering blood glucose levels, blood lipids, and enhancing antioxidant status. But is there a downside to carnitine intake? There might be. If we take carnitine supplements by mouth, carnitine may be converted to TMAO, by the bacteria in our intestines. Now, why do I bring that up? That's because there is some research to suggest that TMAO may increase the risk of clogged arteries, 
and clogged arteries are what increases our risk of stroke, heart attack, and peripheral artery disease. So this begs the question, if carnitine can be provided in another way besides orally so as to bypass the production of TMAO by the bacteria in our gut? Or can we prevent carnitine from being converted into TMAO? I get into that and more in this episode. So now, how about we get into those details? Carnitine is something that we make in our body. In fact, it is present in all mammals. It is a quaternary ammonium compound. It dissolves in water. It is only biologically active when in the L isoform. So if you hear me or others say L-carnitine, this is to distinguish it from its other form, the D-isomer, which is not active. So throughout this episode, you, you may hear me say carnitine or specifically L-carnitine, but in this episode, in this context, I mean the same thing. Now, there are many reports published that state different percentages of how much carnitine we make in our body versus how much that we might get from the foods in our diet. Now, carnitine is found in animal products like meat and milk. And I have seen estimates anywhere from 54% to 87% of the carnitine in our food can be absorbed and make its way into our circulation. Now, we can make our own carnitine from amino acids, methionine, and lysine, and that can happen in our liver and kidneys. But the interesting thing is some trials show that individuals eating a plant-based diet or vegan may actually have higher levels of L-carnitine in their blood, which is kind of surprising considering that L-carnitine is, is found primarily in animal products. But the key was in these trials is that the individuals eating a plant-based diet needed to also be eating an abundant amount of the right amino acids, methionine and lysine, that are essential to make carnitine in the body. For example, in 2019 in the journal Nutrition, Lynn and colleagues compared 31 individuals who ate meat versus 32 individuals who didn't, who ate plant-based. Now, the amount of L-carnitine in their blood of those who ate plant-based was nearly 4,800 micrograms per liter, which is 23% higher than those who ate an omnivore diet or who ate both plant-based and meat. So it appears as though the body may have the ability to adapt and make more carnitine if not getting it from the diet. But what is essential is that we get enough of the amino acids that are required to make carnitine, which is methionine and lysine. Now, these may be hard to obtain on a plant-based diet. So if someone is not getting these amino acids, their ability to make carnitine would be hindered. Now, the plant-based foods high in methionine or lysine would include Brazil nuts, oats, sesame seeds, hemp seeds, soybeans, and pumpkin seeds, lentils, and beans, for example. So we are eating plant-based, maybe we could try to get some of those foods in our diet. Now, our largest storage sites in our body for carnitine includes our liver and our muscle. The carnitine that circulates around in our blood only represents a minor fraction of what we have. Approximately only 0.5% of our endogenous levels are in our blood circulation. Now, the interesting thing is that carnitine can easily pass our blood-brain barrier. This is an important feature because not a lot of things can gain access to our brain. Our brain is a protected organ and many things are not allowed entry. So the fact that L-carnitine can easily access the brain may insinuate a potential role in neurological energy dynamics and mental functioning. Carnitine once in our circulation is not broken down to other products as far as we know other than being esterified. So the excess will be taken back 
back up by our organs or excreted in our urine as carnitine or esterified carnitine. So now that we've covered a bit of basics about where we get carnitine, how it circulates around in our body, let's talk about what it does. Now, carnitine was first identified in muscle back in 1905, but we didn't realize it's important or function until 1959. Isn't that wild to think how sometimes it can take us such a long time to understand the importance or function of something to our health? Like, it took 54 years from the time of them discovering it to the time of them being able to understand it. So, what is carnitine's function? Essentially, it helps us turn fat into energy. Let's think of carnitine like the bouncer or security guard at a bar. You can only enter the bar once you have permission of the security. Then once you are inside the club or the bar, the environment is much different than outside, right? Like maybe outside it was a bit cold and a bit quiet, but inside the bar it is energized with music and lights. Similarly, L-carnitine is like the security or the bouncer. Us waiting outside in line are like the fatty acids. So carnitine is allowing the fatty acids to enter into the mitochondria. So the club is like the mitochondria. And our mitochondria is where we make our energy. So once we enter the club, once the fatty acids enter into the mitochondria, they turn into energy. And fatty acids will go through a beta-oxidation pathway, then enter into the Krebs cycle to produce ATP, our energy molecules. But if there is not enough L-carnitine, or not enough security to let us in, then not enough energy will be made. So carnitine has great importance in regard to our mental energy, our physical energy, and levels of fatigue. As a result, carnitine is particularly important when we eat a lower carbohydrate diet or deplete our glycogen storage during intense exercise or even during calorie restriction, because then we will have to shift to use more fatty acids for energy in order to fuel us. So if we are carnitine deficient, it can potentially lead us to feeling very fatigued with lower physical and mental performance. So that begs the question, are we carnitine deficient? How do we know if we are? Well, some people may be born with a genetic abnormality in their carnitine pathway. This is less common, but it does occur. For example, Pons in the Journal of Child Neurology talks of primary and secondary deficiencies in carnitine. In these cases, supplementing orally with carnitine can drastically improve symptoms. If carnitine supplementation is not adequate enough in these scenarios, then a higher carbohydrate, lower fat diet with frequent meals seems to be of assistance. So let's first talk of primary carnitine deficiency, meaning a genetic difference that causes people to not produce enough carnitine in their body. Now patients appear normal at birth, may appear healthy for several years before they develop signs of any disease. Progressive cardiomyopathy is the most common form of presentation, and usually manifests at an older age, often in an individual's 30s. Generally, echocardiograms and electrocardiograms show that they have dilated cardiomyopathy, peaked T waves, and signs of ventricular hypertrophy, so essentially an enlarged heart. This is thought to happen because the heart needs carnitine to make energy so that it can work. And if that is inadequate, the heart will be challenged, leading to heart enlargement. In these individuals, when liver biopsies are performed in, in primary carnitine deficiency, they appear to have fat infiltrating into the liver, called steatosis. 
and low carnitine content. They usually have less than 6% of normal circulating around in their blood as well. They may also tend to have glucose and ketone bodies on the lower end. Transaminases and ammonia can be moderately elevated. And other abnormalities such as metabolic acidosis, prolonged prothrombin time, like prolonged bleeding time, or even elevated creatine kinase in their blood. Their carnitine levels in their plasma and tissues are usually below 10% of normal. So for these particular individuals, is there a treatment? Well, the mainstay of treatment is oral carnitine at daily doses of 100 to 200 milligrams per kilogram, which for a 70 kilogram person, for example, would be approximately 7 to 14 grams of carnitine. Now, this is quite high, as most clinical trials are looking at doses of 1 to 3 grams. So at this high of a dose, carnitine is being able to reach the systemic circulation by passive diffusion through the intestines. Now let's talk about secondary carnitine deficiency, meaning a deficiency in carnitine due to something else that is impacting carnitine functioning or levels. This is more common than the primary deficiency I just talked about. So we may have too low of carnitine in our body if we have liver disease, kidney disease, or on dialysis, if we're not eating enough protein or the amino acids methionine and lysine, or in elderly individuals, for example. Even some observational reports illustrate that individuals that are battling with inflammatory conditions or type 2 diabetes may potentially have lower levels of carnitine as well. So let's look at some clinical trials to see if carnitine supplementation could be of benefit in different groups of individuals. Firstly, let's talk about carnitine's role in fat mass. Because it helps us convert our fat into energy, some have speculated that it may help with weight loss, or specifically fat loss. So let's look into that. Talenzad published in the journal Clinical Nutrition ESPN last year a meta-analysis in which they pulled together 37 different randomized controlled trials that included nearly 2,300 participants. The participants were a combination of individuals without any ailments, individuals with obesity, type 2 diabetes, or in those that required dialysis for kidney failure. Scientists wanted to understand if L-carnitine supplementation could impact their fat mass. They noted some modest improvements. For example, a loss of 1.7 kilograms of body weight. Two kilograms of fat loss were also noted. And the scientists looked at the amount of carnitine taken. They noted that two grams of carnitine per day seemed to result in the most weight loss. And the benefits were more obvious in individuals living with obesity or if they combined carnitine with diet and or exercise. But even though these statistics are significant, I have to question if two, kilog two kilograms of fat mass loss is significant. For some, that is a lot and is a great effect. But for others, two kilograms of fat mass loss is not as significant and may be achieved with one to two weeks of exercise and cleaner eating. So it all depends on your situation and whether or not that is a significant enough effect for you. Now, due to the role of carnitine in producing energy in our body, naturally scientists wanted to study carnitine in the context of athletic performance. Now, starting in the 1980s, carnitine supplements started to become available to the public, and that's when this research started to happen. Fielding and colleagues compiled a really good review on this topic in the journal Nutrients in 2018. 
Overall, scientists have noted some improvements with taking oral supplements of L-carnitine in the range of 1 to 4 grams per day. It is important to note that these studies tended to be rather small, often with only about 10 participants in them, so do keep this in mind. Studies this small would be considered pilot in nature. Arenas in the journal Muscle and Nerve in 1991 provided 1 gram of carnitine or placebo every day for 6 months to endurance athletes. The participants provided blood samples as well as muscle biopsy samples so the scientists could measure their circulating and muscular carnitine levels. It appears as though intense training reduced the amount of carnitine the athletes had, but in those with supplementing carnitine, their carnitine levels remained stable. So the scientists believe that intense training may use up our carnitine, so to speak, or increase its excretion more specifically and supplementing with carnitine might be of benefit to keep those levels stable in athletes undergoing intense training. Now, in individuals that are fairly active or in athletes, the most common benefit with carnitine supplementation was increased recovery after exercise, and that they had less pain, improved endothelial function, and enhanced blood flow to the muscles. For example, in 1996, Gian Berardino in the International Journal of Sports Medicine aimed to see if L-carnitine supplementation could reduce muscle pain and tenderness after eccentric muscle exercises. So eccentric exercises involve the phase at which the muscle is lengthened. So like when our arm is extended during a bicep curl, for example. This is in contrast to when the muscle is contracted. It is thought that muscle pain and muscle damage or injury is more likely to occur during that lengthening phase. So the scientists wanted to see if L-carnitine could reduce the pain during exercise when there was emphasis placed on the lengthening or eccentric component of the exercise. And the scientists noted that they did indeed note improvements to muscle pain and joint tenderness up to about 70% 24 hours post-exercise versus the placebo group. The proposed mechanism of action is that carnitine is thought to enhance blood flow to muscles, reduce hypoxia-induced cellular and biochemical disruptions. Where I think the data is better designed and stronger is in populations of older adults. I think a really important study was published by Malagornera in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition in 2007, where they conducted a clinical trial in 66 centenarians, meaning people 100 years or older. The scientists gave the participants 2 grams of carnitine orally or a placebo every day for 6 months. They measured the participants' cognition, so their memory, their decision-making, and planning capabilities. They also measured the participants' muscle mass, fat mass, body weight, and their physical performance. In the participants taking carnitine every day, they saw some large improvements in many parameters. First off, the scientists noted that yes, carnitine supplementation did indeed increase circulating levels of carnitine in their blood. And at the six-month mark, their fat mass reduced by 1.8 kilograms versus the placebo group gaining 0.6 kilograms. The carnitine group exhibited an increase in muscle mass, which is great, by 3.8 kilograms versus 0.8 kilograms in the placebo group. Also really importantly, particularly in the elderly, is the carnitine group had substantial improvements in a few measures of their fatigue and improvements in their cognition scores. So this was an exciting clinical trial for its time, although in only 66 people. However, several benefits were seen to people over the age of 100 years taking carnitine supplementation as it improved their body composition, their energy levels, and their memory. 
The same group of scientists published a year later in the journal Archives of Gerontology and Geriatrics that supplementation of carnitine in another group of elderly individuals aged 71 to 88 years old also improved many measures of physical and mental fatigue. Jiang in 2017 conducted a long-term clinical trial in 18 patients with mild cognitive impairment or dementia. These participants took 1.5 grams of carnitine every day for nearly 1.4 years. The scientists noted no decline in their mental functioning over this period of time and saw an increased blood flow to the precuneous region of their brain. Now, unfortunately, this study lacked a control placebo group, but the scientists interpret this trial as carnitine did not negatively influence their mental functioning. If anything, it prevented a potential decline over time, and it may improve blood flow to the brain. Panisi wrote a great review in the journal Nutrients last year on the potential role of carnitine in dementia. They conclude that it is still unfortunately under debate, but that there is some promise indicating that carnitine supplementation may improve energy dynamics and neuronal signaling in the brain in order to be of benefit for cognition in humans. Now, these findings on increased energy, physical performance, enhanced cognition and memory are very reminiscent of my findings on creatine. Now, creatine, like carnitine, is made in our body and is necessary to produce that energy molecule ATP. Creatine supplementation of 3 to 5 grams per day resulted in some benefits, and I would say the data available is more plentiful and stronger for creatine versus carnitine. And if you haven't heard my episode on creatine, it is episode 103, and you can go back and give that one a listen. I enjoy learning about how these compounds are involved in our energy production and thinking of them in the context of exercise, but also now appreciating the fact that we can look at them in the context of aging and mental functioning as well. As such, there is indeed data looking at L-carnitine in mental health and mental functioning. So how about we take a look at some of that data? Veronese and colleagues in the journal Psychosomatic Medicine in 2018 conducted a meta-analysis that pooled together 12 randomized controlled trials with nearly 800 participants to determine if carnitine supplementation could be of benefit to measures of mental health in individuals diagnosed with major depressive disorder. The scientists noted that yes, indeed, L-carnitine oral supplementation was able to provide benefit to symptoms of major depressive disorder. But the studies included in the meta-analysis often were looking at other primary variables like migraines or cognition first, and mental health was a secondary measure. So I think more research should be conducted in this capacity. But I think it is certainly plausible, as it is proposed that carnitine has antioxidant capacity, and it has the potential to cross the blood-brain barrier to gain access to our brain quite rapidly. For example, Rebus in the journal Gene in 2014 wrote a review how L-carnitine may have potential as an antioxidant. And we know, as I discussed at length in episode 25, where I talk about inflammation and the risk of depression. We know through many observational trials that elevation of inflammation in humans can bring about rapid onset of symptoms of depression. The reason why is inflammation tends to shunt our production away from serotonin that important neurotransmitter needed for our mood stability, and instead goes in favor of the production of kynurenine and quinolinic acid, which may lead to damage to the cells in our brain. So in general, inflammation is thought to be detrimental to our mental well-being. 
and if carnitine can potentially protect against this, it may provide benefit to our mental health, but we need more data to really support that statement. Last year, Talianzad in the European Journal of Integrative Medicine conducted a randomized controlled trial in 70 participants living with type 2 diabetes. Half the participants received one gram of L-carnitine every day for 12 weeks, while the other half received placebo. The scientists wanted to determine if L-carnitine could influence the participants' risk factors for heart disease, their blood glucose, and their antioxidant status. They observed slight improvements to their antioxidant status, as well as muscle mass weight, but no significant changes to their risk factors or heart disease or fasting blood glucose. A meta-analysis that pooled together five randomized controlled trials in 2013 concluded that L-carnitine supplementation may provide a modest benefit to fasting blood glucose by on average 14 milligrams per deciliter and improvements to total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol by 7.8 and 8.8 milligrams per deciliter respectively. Now there are many animal studies that also look at L-carnitine supplementation that are conducted in mice and rats for example. And there are some studies that have looked at the role of carnitine in cancer. For example, individuals undergoing chemotherapy for cancer may lose significant weight and have very low energy levels and depleted energy dynamics. Some of the animal data suggests that supplementing with carnitine can help with the production of ATP in this state and may improve energy levels. So let's now say we might be interested in taking carnitine supplements. Is there any downside? There might be. In general, no serious adverse effects have been noted in clinical trials where participants take one to three grams of carnitine every day. However, there are a lot of high-quality studies illustrating that L-carnitine can be metabolized in our intestines by the bacteria present there to produce something that may have a negative effect on our heart health called trimethylamine N-oxide, or abbreviated TMAO. Choline and phosphatidylcholine also present in animal meat can also be converted to TMAO by the bacteria in our intestines. For example, Kioff published in a really well-designed thorough study in the journal Nature Medicine in 2013, where they provided L-carnitine to mice, which resulted in an elevation in circulating TMAO, TMAO levels and increased the presence of clogged arteries, which we call atherosclerosis in these mice. The scientists show that the bacteria in the intestines are necessary to produce TMAO and to lead to the increase in circulating TMAO as antibiotics wiped out the gut microbiome actually prevented the increase in TMAO from carnitine. They noted that certain bacteria like Provitella increased the production of TMAO and bacteria from the Bacteroidetes group seem to be associated with less TMAO production. In humans, people who ate meat tended to have higher conversion of carnitine to TMAO versus those who ate plant-based. In this study, they also observed nearly 2,600 participants undergoing evaluation for their heart health. And if the individuals had higher carnitine levels and higher TMAO levels in their blood, they tended to be at a higher risk for serious events like heart attack, stroke, and death. Now, this is not necessarily cause and effect, but it is an association. The reason why TMAO is believed to cause clogged arteries is because it can interfere with our reverse cholesterol transport. This is when cholesterol is taken from our organs like our heart and blood vessels 
and brought back to our liver to be used for energy or producing things like bile or steroid hormones. If this is being reduced, then the cholesterol may be left to stay in the blood vessels, hence clogged arteries. So if you are listening to this and you are thinking, okay, Stephanie, I'm still going to take my oral carnitine supplements no matter what, even though there may be an increased risk of TMAO production and clogged arteries. Well, here are a few suggestions that I came across. Garlic may interfere with the production of carnitine to TMAO in the intestines. Wu in the Journal of Functional Foods in 2015 showed that the compound allicin found in garlic was able to prevent a substantial increase in TMAO when fed L-carnitine in mice. So garlic may be a protective effect. And garlic in itself also has some potentially protective effects. And I've dedicated an entire episode to this in the past. Din in 2019 wrote a review on how probiotics may be of benefit, particularly bifidobacteria, if they are able to suppress production of TMAO. But this area of research is still quite preliminary. In mice, some scientists have shown that adding a polyphenol found in grapes called resveratrol to the diet might be able to beneficially the, alter the gut microbiome and reduce production of TMAO from L-carnitine as well. But this negative side effect of our intestinal bacteria turning carnitine into TMAO is of concern. Then it begs the question, can we take carnitine in a way that bypasses our intestines then? For example, intramuscular injection, transepidermal patches, or intravenous infusions. Well, for example, Golfer and Kidney International in 1990 recruited patients with kidney failure undergoing dialysis, and they provided the patients with carnitine intravenous infusions at a dose of 20 milligrams per kilogram body weight. And they noted that, yes, their circulating carnitine did increase without any adverse effects. But otherwise, the data on delivery of carnitine via methods besides taking it orally are very limited. The grand majority of the clinical trials look at oral supplements. There's always a risk, though, of intramuscular or intravenous injections, such as infection, embolism, damage to the muscle or blood vessels. So that's why typically oral supplements seem to be a safer strategy, but not necessarily always the best strategy, case in point here. So right now, this concept of delivering carnitine via other ways is in its infancy and experimental right now. But hopefully this is something that will be investigated further. Perhaps a transepidermal patch of carnitine that can cross the skin barrier may be a viable and safe technology for scientists to investigate. So I'm sorry that this episode isn't as clear-cut, but often that is how science goes. A treatment or therapy may look promising, but then there could be a potential downside to it. I hope that scientists continue to investigate this area further because our energy dynamics really are the central core of our health and well-being. If we lack our ability to produce energy, our body simply cannot run the way it is meant to. So that is a wrap, my people, scientist army, an episode dedicated to a molecule that we make in our body that helps us turn fat into energy. And that molecule is L-carnitine. Some individuals may have a deficiency in carnitine, either due to genetics or secondary to chronic disease, old age, or intense physical training, for example. Many clinical trials, many clinical trials illustrate that oral supplements of 1 to 3 grams of carnitine per day may be of benefit to muscle recovery, enhanced muscle mass, reduced fat mass, 
increased mental functioning, and increased antioxidant status. However, the downside of carnitine being converted into TMAO by the bacteria in our gut is of concern if it can increase the risk of clogged arteries and therefore heart disease. So this is something to keep in mind. Probiotics, garlic, and resveratrol may be able to reduce the production of TMAO from carnitine in our intestines. But perhaps in individuals with deficient carnitine, other methods of delivery of carnitine may be of benefit besides taking it orally. In patients with kidney failure, trials of intravenous infusions of carnitine appear to be safe and well-tolerated. But this is something that needs to be further investigated. So I hope that you all have an awesome day. If you want to see some of the studies that I cited in each episode, then make sure to follow me on social media because that is where I like to post some of the abstracts to each episode. And if you have the choice of social media platforms, I use Instagram the most. If you by chance want to buy me a coffee to say thanks for the episode, the information on how to do that is in the description box below. I hope that you all have an awesome day, and I look forward to meeting you all back here the same time and same place next week on the People Scientist Podcast. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates. Thank you.